0: keep your bibles in 1st corinthians chapter number 7 here. Thank you Ken for the reading of God's word. At 18, he was driving down the road and he thought, "I have life figured out. Like I don't need my parents anymore. I'm independent. I'm going to forge my own path. I'm finally free." I get to make my own decisions, and he sped down the road thinking, yes, now I get to really live life. And then life happened, and soon he found himself calling his dad, asking for some advice. He realized he didn't have life figured out. As the years went by, he began to realize he needed counseling in this area. And maybe he needed some advice in this area, and maybe he needed to know how to do this. And eventually, it dawned on him that his parents were wiser than he thought. They had counsel that maybe he needed. I think that probably this happens and has happened to many of us when we're in our teenage years. We think that we have it figured out, and then we get older and we realize that our parents were smarter than we realized. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is like a father. He brought the gospel to the Corinthian church. He saw them come to Christ. They believed in the Lord. And then he nurtured them in Christ. And he rejoiced to see them growing in Christ. And then he left. And they wrote a letter asking some questions. They needed some wisdom. And so he wrote back 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at the end here, in verses 25 through 40, Paul shares some wisdom. In some texts of 1 Corinthians, you see Paul uh, commanding them, he's instructing them, he's very bold, he confronts them in their sin. And then in some texts, you see him saying, well, let me give you some principles for life. And that's what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Paul shared his wisdom. For today, considering eternity could be tomorrow. And that's the topic really for my sermon here this morning. In 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40 provides wisdom regarding how to glorify God for singles. And particularly for those singles who are looking at the potential of marriage. Now, when you heard Ken read this, and I'm on, okay? You can hear me okay? Okay. When, when Ken was reading this, you might have thought, and I know probably many of you thought, this doesn't seem very applicable to our service this morning. Like, how am I going to apply this? And actually, I thought that when I read it the first time, too. <laughs> I thought, wow, Lord, you gave us an interesting text. But actually, I think that this sermon might be one of the most practical sermons you've ever heard. might be surprised by that. But I think what he does here is he actually shares principles to live by. He's helping them make decisions, particularly maybe someone who's single and they're in a difficult time because there's persecution, there's trials, and they're trying to decide, should, should I marry this person? Should I look for someone to marry? And he says, well, here are some principles to help you make decisions in life. And remember, all of this is rooted back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, where he says that we are to glorify God in our bodies, And so 1 Corinthians 6, 20 there is is really the fertile soil that this text here grows and blooms from. And so because God has called us to glorify him in our body, then he gives us principles to live by so that we can glorify him, whether we're single or married or whoever we are. And so we're going to see three principles here this morning for wisdom to guide you in Decisions that you're making so that you can glorify God in your body. And so we're going to look at wisdom. Look at verse 25. I want you to to show you that this is Paul providing wisdom regarding how to glorify God, particularly for singles who are considering the possibility of marriage. Verse 25, he says, Now concerning the betrothed, your version might say virgins or singles. It's dealing with those who are single and are looking at the potential of getting married. They're considering that. So evidently, the church wrote a letter to Paul and had a question about this. And Paul wrote them back. And this is what he says. Look at verse 25. Now, or I have no command from the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I don't have any imperatives. I don't have any teachings from the Lord about this. But but I have some wisdom on this. I have some principles. He says, but I give my judgment as one who by God's mercy is trustworthy. So so you can trust my wisdom. You can trust what I'm going to say here. Listen to my counsel here. And then we see him give some principles to live by. And I want you to think about the difference between a command and a principle to live by. You know, a command is direct. A command is, is dark and light. It's black and it's white. It's either you obey it or you disobey it. It's yes to God or no to God, right? That's a command. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 gives us a command, flee, that's the command, flee from immorality. So that's pretty clear. Flee from immorality. Don't entertain it. Don't linger. Don't invite it into your life. So you either obey that or you disobey that. And and, and many times we like commands, right? We like the clarity of a command. We like to say this is right and this is wrong. But here in this text, he does something a little different. He gives us some principles. Which we struggle with sometimes because we want to hear the do this or don't do this. But what a principle does is it says, here's a truth and here's something that might help you glorify God in your life. And you need to pray and consider how you can apply this principle to your life. And so sometimes, as we're looking at a principle in God's word, we can decide, well, I I might do this in my life, and that's going to be unhelpful for me, so I'm not going to do it. The Bible doesn't say I can't do it. The Bible doesn't say I should do it. It's just something that I I don't think is helpful. Sometimes I'm going to say, well, this is good to do, but I'm not going to do that because this is better to do. So so the point is, these are discernment decisions that we're making. So as he goes through this text here, and as we go through this text, we're going to see that. You might be a little confused because sometimes it sounds like he's saying, yeah, you can do this. But other times he says, well, or you can do this. Sometimes the Bible, or I should say many times, the Bible doesn't speak directly about a particular issue. This is where a lot of people that are usually more immature struggle because they're like, well, where does the Bible say that? Like, give me a chapter and verse for that. I don't see that anywhere. And we say, well, there's, there's, it's not in the Bible. Well, then I can do what I want. No, that's actually not the case. There's principles for us to live by. So we're to take God's principles, is truths, and before God, we're to, uh, to consider what he says and to trust him and ask him to enable us to understand how we should discern what is best for us to glorify and serve God. And so let me give you some examples, okay, before we go into this. The Bible doesn't say what kind of job you should have or not have. The Bible doesn't say if you should cut your hair a certain length or if you should get a tattoo or not. The Bible doesn't say whether you should uh, drink this or not drink this or watch this on TV or not watch this on TV. Should you have this social media account or should you not have this social media account, right? There's, you're not going to go in Deuteronomy and find that in there somewhere. And so, so how do we make decisions about stuff like that? Well, we take biblical principles. We make faith-based, grace-filled, God-glorifying decisions, and so you can sometimes go through the scripture and you're looking at a principle and you can say for yourself, like, this is something that God wants me to do, but someone else might think that that's not something God wants them to do. And it's a clear, again, it's not clear in the scripture. It's a principle that you are therefore to live. And again, I think sometimes we like the idea that, you know, thus says the Lord. So this is so clear. God says it, do it, you know, don't lie, tell the truth, clear commands, right? Don't lust, don't, gossip, be thankful, love your neighbor. But wisdom here says, okay, consider principles and then live wisely. Really maturity, spiritual maturity is the ability to take truth, to to take principles from God's word and apply it to your life. And so we're going to look at three principles here this morning to help guide us as we seek to glorify God with our lives. And before we get into this, I want us to think through some decisions that we might make that we need some principles for. Think about some big decisions. Maybe you're in high school and you're going to college and you're saying, "What what's my major going to be or what's my profession going to be?" Maybe you're in a job and you're thinking about switching jobs or maybe you're thinking about moving or maybe you're thinking about buying a big purchase. Or maybe it's just a small thing, like what are you gonna do this afternoon? Like, what are you gonna watch on TV tonight or, or not watch, right? What are you gonna look at on your phone? And so, what decisions are we making and how do we make those decisions? And so, let's look at the first principle that we find here in the text, and that is consider your time is short and eternity is forever. So, as we make decisions, Before we make decisions, as we are making a decision, let's consider this principle right here that our time is short and eternity is forever. Look at verse 26. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Paul's wisdom was given in a certain context here. And he says there's a certain distress that's taking place. What was that distress? Well, it was the persecution that was taking place upon not only this church, but throughout the Roman Empire. If you remember back to Acts chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla, who were members of this church, they were kicked out of Rome because they were Jews. And remember at that time, the Roman Empire really viewed Christianity as a subset of Judaism. It was a branch of Judaism in their mind. And so a lot of the problems that were happening in the Roman Empire, were being blamed on Christians. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, you can see that even the Jewish people rallied against the church. They dragged out Paul before the, the Roman council, the city, and they beat Sosthenes, who was probably a pastor or eventually became a pastor. And throughout the Roman Empire, there were these rumblings of Persecution. It was already happening, but really it was all about to explode. I mean, only in a few years, Emperor, Emperor Nero will come on the scene. He will blame Christians for burning down Rome. He will take Christians, he will, he will put, the, put blood on them, he will put animal skins on them, he'll take them to his parties, he'll have wild animals tear them apart. He'll do that to Christians. He'll, he'll take Christians, he'll dip them in tar, he'll impale them on a pole and light them on fire to light up his parties. So, so this is about to happen to these Christians. For many of them, they were already being persecuted. So he's saying, think of the context here. There's a very distressing thing that's happening right now. And so let me give you some counsel in regard to what you should do. Particularly, you're single and you're thinking, should I get married with all this, this, these problems with this persecution? And so he gives, he gives a principle here. Consider your time is short and eternity is forever. And so look at verse 26. Here's his counsel Verse 26, his counsel is to remain as you are. And so he says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? I think the NIV really does the best job of translating this. It says, are you pledged to a woman? So the idea here is that you are you are looking to get married. You, you maybe even are engaged to be married. So you have someone that you're married, you're committed to be married to. So are you pledged to a woman? Are you bound to be married? Then don't seek to be free. So are you engaged? You're in a time of trials and persecution, and you're, you're committed. You're going to marry this person. He says, go ahead. You, you can marry that person. But then he says, are you free from a wife? In other words, are you single? You know, are you not spoken for? There's no one in your life you're thinking about. He says, well, don't seek a wife. Don't seek to get married. And so his counsel here is if, if it's during this time of hardship or during this hard time of hardship, don't spend your time seeking to get married. And why would he say that? Look at verse 28. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So he's saying it's not a sin to marry. So it's like, if you want to get married, you can get married. It's not a sin. So you kind of see how it goes back and forth. He's saying, don't, don't get married. But he says, "What well, if you want to get married, you can get married. So he's, he's giving wisdom. And so again, why would he counsel some singles not to pursue marriage during times of persecution. Verse 28, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you from that. Worldly troubles isn't speaking about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, you know, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not talking about that. It's just talking about the basic necessities and responsibilities in this world. When you deal with a family. It's providing food. It's feeding little ones, right? It's clothing your family, your kids. It's, it's homeschooling them or putting them in a school and taking them back and forth from a school. It's, it's all the realities of what it means to have a family. So why would Paul counsel in this way? Well, he was helping them to know how to live their life in a way that could honor Christ and could serve the Lord And so they would live for Christ. And he recognized when there is severe trouble, when there's severe persecution, it can actually be difficult to juggle a family and serving the Lord. In fact, I think about it like this. In the summer of 2021, that was last summer. I think I actually mentioned it in a service like this, but you might have seen this on the news. Pastor Tim Stevens at Calgary, Alberta in Canada, he was jailed as a pastor for holding a church service. They were out in the woods and they were, their people were out there and he was preaching and a helicopter came over, a police helicopter, spotted them. They came to his house and they arrested him for illegally leading a worship service. And so clearly that is, in our age, a clear example of persecution. It's government intrusion into the freedom of people to worship God. But the saddest part of really the whole ordeal was seeing a video of his family as he was being taken away. I actually captured a picture of this. The top picture is when the police arrested him and took him away, and you can see his four little kids, and they're crying, and his wife, and that's probably the hardest part of that whole thing, seeing that. I imagine if you asked him, what was the most difficult part for you? Was it being in a maximum security prison? I don't think so. I think it was probably that right there. The next picture is when he was able to come home. Those are the troubles Paul was referring to in verse 28. It was the right thing for Pastor Tim Stevens to do. I mean, even though he has a family, it was the right thing to do. But it was difficult, right? And sometimes we're called to do things that's, that's gonna affect our family and that's going to cause us to be very sad because it's affecting our kids and our, my, our wife or our spouse. I'm sure you've been at times where you've had pain, maybe been in the hospital. I've had times when I've uh, had surgery, and that's not fun. But what's worse than that is when you go to the hospital and it's one of your kids there, right? Or it's your spouse there. And and during those times, I mean, you would trade anything to trade places with that person. Those are the cares of this world. When there's difficulty in this world, particularly persecution, and they go after your kids, they go after your wife. It affects your kids. And why, that's, that's what he's talking about right here. And so he's giving this counsel thing, saying, listen, I, I want you to consider this because I don't want you to have to deal with this. I would spare you of that. So why would he advise this? Well, it's based upon this principle you find in verse 29. Our time is short. Eternity is forever. Verse 29. What I mean, um, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. The appointed time has grown very short. This is speaking of our time here on earth and the time we all have before God says the end is now here. And so he's t- saying here, he's saying, listen, you don't have much time left. As you're making decisions, you, you consider that your time is short. And after that, there's eternity and eternity is forever forever. Do you, realize, do you realize your life is short? You ever just ponder that and think about it? I don't think we really do. Like, I ask that kind of question, and think we go, yeah, I think I do. Do we really think about that? I mean, we like to think about, well, we don't like to. Many times we can think about other people's mortality. Right? You can watch the news and see, wow, a bunch of people died in Las Vegas or Los Angeles. I mean, you know, you see the news and it's depressing, like, ooh, like, I don't want to watch that. It's going to, another murder happening. But, so we think about someone else like that that died, or, or maybe we have a friend and they pass away, or well, this morning we got a text about a dear friend of ours that has cancer, looks pretty serious. So then you start thinking about that person. Oh, well, how long do they have? But then do we reflect back and just think, like, how long do we have? Do you realize this could be your last day on earth? Have you thought about that? You, you could actually live the rest of the day, and at midnight tonight, you could take your last breath, your heart will stop, and life will be no more. There's no second chance. It's over. So I think it's good for us to consider that. What would you do? What would you do today? Well, you have, what, 12 hours. What would you do today if you knew you were going to die tonight at midnight? What would you do today? Would you live your life any different if you knew this was your last day on earth? Think about those who are without Christ. Maybe someone in here listening to me and your heart keeps resisting the gospel, keeps resisting the work of God in your heart. That means for you, it means when you take your last breath, that you'll enter in eternity without God. That you'll enter into eternal punishment. In fact, the Bible says that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9, the Bible says, those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, God says, here's the good news: God sent his son to die for you. And you need to believe in him, and he can rescue you from your sin. But you go, ah, not right now. Nah, I kind of like my life, like how I'm living my life right now. Yeah, I don't really want to confess my sin. I, I want to keep that to myself. We have some good friends that are not from California, from somewhere else. And uh, last week, their daughter came to them. She's 19, 20 years old and said, I'm now choosing my life of sin and I'm not going to follow the Lord. And of course, it just broke their hearts. And it's so, so sad. Those who do not obey the gospel, you say, okay, maybe I know the gospel, but I'm not going to submit to Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Right? That's, that's the rich man in Luke chapter 18 or 16. Luke chapter 16. He, he's enjoying his house. He's got his big home. Right? He worked his whole life for that. He's living in a lap of luxury, sipping on his fine wine, and then he breathes his last breath. He dies. And the Bible says in Luke 16, the rich man also died. His body was put in the ground. He was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up. It was like at that moment, reality came and it's like his body's in the ground, his soul's in hell, and he looks up and he goes, it's done. Life is over. In an instant, he realized life is in the past, eternity is now, eternity is forever. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 For what does it profit a person? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? What does it profit if you become the CEO of that company? What is a profit if you get all the friends you want, all the comfort you want, your pension's really big, but you die without Christ, you lose it all. And live in eternity alone with nothing but regret and shame and pain. And that's why the Apostle Paul pleads, today, today is the day of salvation. You don't know what the next minute, what the next day holds and so, friend, if you're in here without Christ, the, the, our plea for you, our plea is that it doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter what your friends think of you. It matters what God thinks. And soon you will meet the Lord. And so turn to him. And Christian, how much more for us to remember that our time is short, that eternity is forever. I mean, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. In other words, my entire life is about Jesus Christ. It's about serving Christ. I'm existing right now. I'm living right now for Christ. For if I am to live in the flesh, I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm in my body. I'm living in the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. Like I'm here to work for Jesus. I'm on this earth to serve him. So for me to live right now is Christ. And then when I die, it's gain. Why is that? Because what happens now in our life affects what happens in eternity. And so we only have a short time. That's why the psalmist says, surely all mankind stands like a breath. We breathe that hot air and that's our life. Or surely a man goes about like a shadow and we see a shadow pass right like that. And that's our life. Or James says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. It's like you take the hose, you spray the water in the air, and it goes away, and that's your life. And he's saying, you don't have much time. Life is running out. And how you live that shadow, how you live that mist, how you live that hot breath, how you live that short life matters for eternity. And so, for us Christians... If you knew at midnight tonight you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of your life, and particularly even of this day, would you live it any different than you're going to live today? Would it affect how you're paying attention now or when we're going to sing a song, how you sing to the Lord? Would it affect what you're going to watch and what you're going to do this afternoon? We only have a short time. And when you understand this principle right here, it changes the decisions we make. Imagine a young lady and she's been asked on a date. She's looking forward to this date. It's noon and she's going out at six o'clock. So he's going to come by, pick her up at six. So She's got to pick out a dress. That's not going to take much time, right? So pick out a dress. Okay, maybe a little bit more time than you think. You got to put your makeup on. Oh, you got to take a shower first before all that, right? Then get your dress. Then get your makeup on. There's there's some things to do, but you got six hours, right? I mean, you can do it in six hours, but then her friend says, hey, let's go for coffee and let's talk about this date tonight. Oh, okay. You know, so they go out to coffee and they have a good time there. And then on the way home, she thinks, well, i got to pick up some accessories from Target. And so she goes by Target. I mean, how long is that really going to take? That's really quick, right, right, guys? And then she picks up some accessories and then she goes home and she you know, wants to see what her friends are saying. So she goes on social media and then her mom calls. She talks to her mom a little bit and then she looks at her phone and oh, it's 530. I got a half hour to do all this stuff. And so, because he's coming at six, what changes in her life? Like, do her priorities change, right? I mean, she's probably not going to answer texts anymore. She's not going to scroll on social media. She's not going to answer the phone call. She's going to put all distractions away. And she's going to, some of you are like, a half hour is not enough time, Ben. That's the point, right? It's like she's going to be laser focused on getting ready for this date. Her time is short. And that reality right there changes her priorities that's what Paul was counseling here. As you're considering, life is short and eternity is forever. It will affect your decisions that you make. But we often get distracted, don't we? We get distracted by life. I mean, sometimes sin, but many times it's just the regular things of life. That's why Paul says what he says in verse 29. He actually speaks not just the singles. Now he talks to the entire church. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, he says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So here we're talking about a short period of time. There's not much time. So what? From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. So why? For the present form of this world is passing away, right? Time is running out. Now, what does all that mean? For for instance, look look at verse 19. No, look at verse 29. Verse 29. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What's he talking about? Yeah, don't say amen yet till we know what that is, right? But Paul is not encouraging men to divorce or for spouses to neglect their family. If you look in verse 30, he was not saying that you can't ever cry or mourn. He wasn't saying you should never rejoice or laugh. Verse 31, he was not teaching that you shouldn't buy any goods. What he was saying in all um, all these things he's saying in these verses is that you're to live now like it's all going to end soon, like all of that is soon going to go away. In other words, he's saying, don't let these things distract you from serving the Lord. Don't get distracted by your family. Don't get distracted by mourning. Don't get distracted by rejoicing. Don't get distracted by the earthly goods, the earthly possessions. Don't let those things divert you from living and serving for Jesus Christ. And again, he's not saying that we should neglect our families. He's not saying to ignore your wife and your children. He's not saying you should quit your job. He's not saying you should go be a nun or go be some kind of monk somewhere. But he's saying, church, our our marriage and our kids and our jobs and our life, regular things of our life should not be the sole focus of our life. We must serve Christ. Yes, we must serve Christ in our home by loving our spouse, by loving our kids, raising them to follow Christ, influencing our grandkids, doing those responsibilities we have. But but those responsibilities do not excuse us from giving our all for Christ, from serving the Lord. Marriage does not reduce a Christian's obligation and devotion to the Lord and His work. I think years ago, there, there probably was a, a serious imbalance in this in the church where, where it's like, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday. Night. I mean, it's like every night of the week, you're at the church or you're doing something and you're like, I don't ever see my family. And that, that's not good. Like, you should see your family, you should, you should minister to them, especially if you're the father in the home. That should be a part of your responsibilities in the home. But I don't know if we have that. I mean, some people might, but I don't, don't know if that's really the struggle in the church today. I mean, we have, I think, the opposite problem. I mean, on the other side of that, we have people that don't even come to church anymore. They watch church from their TV screens, right? From their computer screens. They think that's church. It's not church. That's another sermon. But today, Christians have so idolized their marriages their, their kids, their vacations, their houses, their toys, their parties, their sports, that those things take priority over the priorities of Christ, over gathering with the church, over winning souls to Christ, over serving people, discipling Christians. But when we realize that time is running out, when we stand before Christ, he's not going to ask us at the cookout last night what kind of meat we had. He's not going to ask us what movie you watched last week and if you really enjoyed it. He's going to ask, did you serve me? Time is short. Life will soon end and we need to recognize the distractions and commit to Christ. So first, consider this principle. Your time is short and eternity is forever. And then second, here's a second principle, your life It's about serving the Lord. Your life is about serving the Lord. Look at verse 35. Really from verse 32 through verse 35, we see him encouraging us to serve the Lord. Verse 35, though, concludes like this. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion. There you go. There's the word we're going to focus on. Undivided devotion to the Lord. The Greek word behind devotion is only found one other place in the New Testament. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. And there it speaks of a person who, who serves in a temple, particularly a pagan temple. And the idea is that this is one who serves. They, they stand by. They attend to the needs of that temple. They serve night and day for the glory of that deity in the temple. And so Paul here takes that idea and translates it to the church of Jesus Christ, to the one and true God, Yahweh God. And so he's saying here we're to be devoted, we're to serve the Lord. The New King James translates that verse like this. And this I say for your own profit, and then notice the end, that you may serve the Lord without distraction." I think I kind of like that translation better, or the New Living Translation says it like this. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. And I like that because I think that's the idea here. I'm trying to help you know how to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So the principle here is this, that your life, your life is about serving the Lord. So, the question is, how can you best serve the Lord with your life? So, this is a wisdom issue. It's going to look different for you than it is for someone else. And that's okay. For some, the answer to this will be, I can best serve the Lord being married. And for others, it will be, I can best serve the Lord by remaining single. Look at verse 32. This is what he talks about in here. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. That's that's the concerns of this life. So the unmarried man, that's the, the single man, is anxious. He's concerned about, he's able to focus on the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. So if you're single, you have a unique opportunity that the married don't have. You have distractions, there's distractions that are not in your life. If you're married, there are certain distractions that you have to take care of. There's certain responsibilities that you need to uh, uh, attend to. But if you're single, there's there's a special opportunity that God has given to you, a freedom to be able to serve him in a way that married can't. So Paul says, this is a good thing. Like this is a benefit to being single. So look at verse 33. He says, the married man, this is kind of in contrast, the married man is anxious. He's concerned about, he thinks about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And so his concerns are like, how do I take care of the needs of my wife? I actually thought about a couple of jokes I could tell here, but I refrained from that. So I will refrain from that. Don't want to single out the wives there. Plus, we don't have much time. Verse 33 ends, and then verse 34 34 says, and his interests are divided. So it's divided between what? Between the needs of his family and serving the church, serving the Lord. The unmarried, that's the single woman, the betrothed woman, the single girl, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. So she's able to have more of a focus on that, on holiness in her life. But the married woman is anxious. She's concerned about worldly things, the things of this world, which is how to please her husband. And so Paul's kind of stating just an obvious. And that is if you're married, you have responsibilities. You need to attend to those responsibilities. If you're single, you have a unique opportunity to focus on Christ and serving the church. However, this doesn't absolve those who are married from serving Christ's church. It doesn't mean singles should do everything in the church. You don't need to say it out loud, but in your heart, singles, you want to say amen to that, right? I mean, sometimes people do that. They're like, well, they're single, so they can take care of that. Okay, they might actually have more of an ability to do that, but it doesn't mean that we push it off on them. In fact, actually, in this text, he's not saying that if you're married, you don't have to serve. If you're single, you should. In fact, what he's saying is, it's actually harder for you if you're married to serve. You should still serve. You should still give your all to Christ. But you're going to have to balance your home and your church life. It's going to be a difficult balance, but you must do it. In fact, you can see that in verse 34. He says to the married men, your interests are divided. He's not saying, okay, only take interest in what's going on at home. He's saying, no, you have... Now, two divided interests. You got to figure out how do you serve Christ's church and how do you serve your family. And you got to balance those. But again, he's focusing in here on singles, helping them consider the blessingness of singleness. Look at verse 35. He says, I say this for your, that's the singles, your benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but I want to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I, I want to help you serve the Lord in the best way possible. I want you to be free from distractions so that you can give your all for Christ. And so again, Paul is giving wisdom. And he's not saying marriage is bad. I mean, in many other texts of scripture, we can see that he who finds a wife finds a, something good, right? I mean, marriage is good. But what he's saying here is that for some, actually, Singleness is best. So is it right to be married and wrong to be single? No, he's not saying that. This is not a right or wrong. This is for some marriage, for all, marriage is good, right? And for some, actually, singleness is better. And so we need to be careful about how we view singleness. Some people view singleness as some kind of broken condition, as if that person has some kind of disease. It's kind of like this: Are you married? You know, and the idea is, do you have a problem? And sometimes that's, you know, you might not think it comes across that way, but when you go to a person who's single and you say, Are you married yet? You know, are you, you have that guy yet? You have that girl yet? It's kind of like you're saying, Have you fixed your problem yet? Well, let's recognize singleness is not a problem, okay? (laughs) It's not a disease that has to be fixed by you. And so you're going to go out and find that person for them because sometimes that person's called to that. Maybe they don't desire it. Uh, maybe it's something that they're not hoping lasts very long, but um, and sometimes this is something they realize is what God's called them to do. But the point is, it's not something to be fixed. It's not a problem. It actually can be a blessing. According to Paul, it's a blessing if that person uses that gift for Christ. I was reading about John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, and he traveled all over America. He traveled all over England, I think even around the world, and he would preach. And when he was young, someone encouraged him, and some people, I guess, encouraged him to get married. You know, you're going to be a preacher. You've got to get married. And so he married this girl named Molly, and he didn't really want to get married, but he felt like it was the right thing to do. Well, she constantly fought with him, bickered with him. She hated the ministry. She hated what he did. I mean, sometimes even in public, she would embarrass him. One time she was arguing with him in front of a group of people, and she said, I call down every curse upon you from Genesis to Revelation. I shared that because I was like, I never heard that one in a marital fight. <laughs> like, that's an interesting <laughs> one. But it was sad because eventually she actually left him. It's a sad story of someone who married under pressure, Married, marriage is not the answer to your woes. It actually could be the beginning of them. Don't say amen if you're married, okay? (laughs) But also marriage can be a blessing. The point is marriage is good. It's God's design for a union between a man and a woman. And, and, And a married man and woman, they could be more effective if they were single. But for some, they could be more effective being single. Just think of some biblical examples. Like what's the primary biblical example? Jesus, right? I mean, he came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was single. He was a single man. Or consider the disciples. Most of the disciples were single when they were following Jesus. So during their two and a half, three years on earth, they were single. Now, Peter wasn't, which actually was a blessing for the disciples, because they actually went to Peter's house and used that as a base of operations in Capernaum. So there the disciples would gather, Jesus would stay there. And you know, I'm sure Peter's wife made them food and was hospitable. And so that was a blessing. But think about if all the disciples had wives and they had six, seven, eight, nine, 10 kids. Some of you are like, that's a lot. Well, back then I think that was pretty much average. But anyways, and think about if, if they had to take care of all those things. In other words, there was a, a uniqueness about that time, but also for those men at that time of being single. It was a a gift for many of them. Paul was single. He was probably a widower. And so think about all that Paul was able to do for Christ as a widower. I mean, he's going into towns. They're beating him, dragging him to the outside of the city and leaving him for dead. Think about how much more difficult that would have been for Paul if he had to go in those cities and his wife is being beaten. Or are worse, or, or maybe his kids are being beaten, right? And that would be so much more difficult. And so God used him. Jeremiah was a prophet who was single at the time of in, of intense persecution and, and a time of war. Then there's the widow, Anna, who is in the temple. And she served the Lord for, what, 60-some years. She's in her 80s. And she's constantly morning and evening serving in the temple. She's not stopping She's like, I'm not going to stop until I see the Lord's Messiah. And then she sees him, and she's in her 80s, and no retirement for her. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness for the coming of the Messiah. And think about that being married. Sweetie, I think God's called us to the wilderness. You know, and he's wearing camel's hair. Do you think his wife would have let him wear camel's hair? I don't think so. That one just came to me. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, but seriously, think about it. Think about how God used him as, as a single person. So I think it's important for us to recognize, especially for those of us or for those of you who are singles, that God can actually use your unique position in life to serve him. I was thinking back to when I was single. I got married when I was 26 years old. And I was thinking back to some of those years and when Dane and I will talk about those years of us being single, they were some of the best years of our life. Doesn't mean we don't have good years now, but it was like, we think about that. We're like, those were some of the best. We had so much fun. And I was just meditating on what, what was I doing in those 20-something years? And I wrote down just some of the things we were doing during that time. When During that time, I was doing a Bible study at Marquette University, and that was an interesting experience. On Sunday mornings, I was teaching the third and fourth grade boys Sunday school class We would go to Sunday morning service at Sunday school and then Sunday morning service. We sang in the choir. Sometimes I ushered, depends on the rotation. And then we had a Sunday evening service, and there was many times that they would have meetings because they were building a building and stuff. And I would take Dana and I, and sometimes myself with a couple other college students, would take the students down to the basement. We would do a children's program with them when they had revival services or missions conference. Like we were the ones given the opportunity to do that. We weren't paid for at all, just doing that volunteering. On Wednesday nights, we did the Iwana program. On Saturdays, we volunteered in children's clubs. On Friday night, almost every Friday night, we went down to Madison, Wisconsin, to give the gospel. Throughout the week, we had a Bible study we were doing with college guys, and we would sometimes go and, uh, to revival meetings and other places and hear the preaching of God's word, and... And I realized we were so, so busy. I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't think I hardly watched any movies or any TV or anything during that time. I mean, part of it's because you had to go to the movie theater and pay 10 bucks. That was those days, right? You just didn't watch, you know, Netflix or whatever it is now. I hate Netflix. Those, you know, online shows. But I was realizing we had so much fun. And why was that? It was because every moment we were like, okay, what do we do next to serve the Lord? And that's kind of the unique opportunity you have as a single person. And sometimes as a single person, people can think, okay, I don't have a family, so I don't have anything to do, so maybe I should fill it with something else. And it's not bad to have hobbies, like you should have hobbies, and it's not bad to watch movies. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, like, if you have open time, think about how you can serve the Lord during those times. Like, how, who can you go out and give the gospel to? Where can you go to tell people about Christ? who in the church can you visit? Who can you serve? We've had some singles in the church and they visited some of the kids from Kids Spectacular, some of their families. We've had some that have come by and visited you guys in the church. And the point is, it's not like we're not having singles do that right now and people in the church do that right now, but that's a unique opportunity that you might have. Let me give you another example. In 1955, the world was shocked when there was five missionaries. They were all men and they're all married and they went to Ecuador. They landed on a plane next to a river, and they were trying to reach the Akka Indian tribe. And these men were killed one day, speared to death by these Akka Indians. I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. Native American. No, that's not. Uh, indigenous people. There you go. Sorry about that. I want you to think about that. If, you, if you've ever heard this story and, and think about that, we think about those five men. They gave their life for Christ. and That's a wonderful thing. But it's interesting. Those men didn't actually reach that tribe. Do you know who did? It was two single women. One was Elizabeth Elliot, and she was made single. She was made a widow by one of those men who speared her husband. One of the men who died, Jim Elliot, was her husband. The other single lady was named Rachel Saint, and her brother was one of the men who died as well. Those two single ladies were able to go into that tribe that, No married couple could ever do. No man could ever do, because they weren't a threat. Men would have been a threat if they would have gone in there. And so these ladies went. They lived with that tribe for, I think, two, maybe two and a half years. They were able to learn their language, create an alphabet, help them translate the gospel of Mark into their language, teach them the language, or teach them to read the language, I should say. And in the end, they saw most of those people come to Christ. In fact, even Kimo, one of the tribe men, tribesmen who, who killed one of the missionaries, he became the pastor of the church. And, and we read, or we actually listened to a couple weeks ago as a family, the, the biography of Rachel Saint. And we were listening to the story of the single woman and how God used her really not just that, but many other remarkable ways. And I was thinking, you know, singleness for Elizabeth Elliot at that time and for Rachel Saint at that time, that was a gift for them. I mean, in some sense, you think about it, God made Elizabeth Elliot single by taking away her husband. God actually made Rachel uh, Saint single by um, God's providence, by not bringing someone into her life. But because they were both single, they were able to serve the Lord in that way. And, and really their desire was to just keep going forward for the Lord, and serve him. And so, again, singles, let me encourage you to consider in the decisions you're making. Okay, I'm looking at this job. I'm looking at this consideration. Like, consider how do you serve the Lord? And then for married, it's important for us to, yeah, recognize the responsibilities we have, but don't use the responsibilities of our home as an excuse not to serve The Lord, let's serve the Lord in our life. And the last one, this is the shortest point, I promise. And that is within God's will, you can do what you want. Now, that's not a point you typically hear in a church service, is it? That might even surprise some people right there. But that's what these verses teach, and that's what the scripture teaches. Within God's will, that's an important point right there. Within God's will, you can do what you want. That's what verses 36 through 40 counsel and teach us. You know, in the end of the day, if you walk with the Lord, if you're trusting uh, the Lord and you're obeying his word, and you're in prayer depending on him, the scripture is pretty clear. You can make the decisions you want to in life. And and why is that? How is that possible? Well, the Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, I guarantee you today and tomorrow and the next year and the next five years, you will do what you want to do. Everyone, we all do, right? You do what you want. And so that's why it's so important to have God change our wanter to want him. And when we delight in him, when we want him, guess what are the desires of our heart? It's him. And so when we When we are in the center of his will, when we're obeying him, we're delighting in him, we're trusting in him, guess what? You can do what you want, which means what? You will do his will. You will delight in him. And so notice this in verse 36. I'll just read through this and then we'll conclude. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, notice this, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not a sin. Verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined in his heart. So notice these words in here to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as, As he lives, and so notice God's will. If you're married, what's God's will for you? Stay married until you or, well, until she dies or he dies. But then notice the next part. But if her husband does die, then what? She's free to be married to whom she wishes. But notice God's will only in the Lord. So what you see here is you see this idea of God's will found in God's word. So you, if you're interested in dating someone, marrying someone, you should only date someone in the Lord. In other words, someone who's a believer. Only date someone by faith, trusting this is who God wants you to date. And that's someone who is like-minded. They're walking the same path of, of, of life with Christ with you. So they're in the Lord. They're, they're believers. And so if you want to date or marry someone, then God's will for you is to marry and date, date and then marry someone who's a believer. If you're already married, God's will for you is to remain married. But we, we should couple both these together. So if, if you're in God's will, if you're, you're following God's word, you're living in obedience to him, and you you see a nice guy. He loves the Lord. And you think, wow, this is a nice guy. And he, he's a Christian, and I kind of like him. He kind of likes me. And you think, should we get married? Well what's the question? Do you want to? And that's what he's saying here. Now, maybe you see a a guy who's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, or flip it around, a girl if you're a guy, but they're not a believer. Should you date them? Should you marry them? Well, you say, well, I desire it. But is it God's will? The answer is no. Well, how do you know that? Well, because it's against God's word. And so as we make decisions, we must consider, are we in God's will? So, for instance, you might be thinking about a profession. You think, oh, if I get this, I can make a lot of money. I can get the big house. I can get the nice car. Like, I can just live in the lap of luxury. Well, let's, let's, let's think about that. Are you in God's will? I mean, if you're a greedy and covetous person, are you living in the will of God? You know what you should do before you choose your profession is get your heart right with Christ. But if you're a person who says, well, I have these skills and I have this ability to learn this and and I think maybe I want to do this with my life and I want to be a doctor or a lawyer and I I just want to use my life to serve the Lord. I, I want to get so I can give. I want to build the kingdom of God. You know what? Pick the job you want to pick. Do what you want to do. That's what he's telling us here. So as we go through decisions and think through decisions that we make, we can take these principles and apply them to our life. Consider our time is short. And so have you considered that today? So if you're in here without Christ, have you considered your life is short? And if you're not in Christ, if you're not trusting the Lord, if you're running from the Lord in your heart, if you say, you know what? Not now. Listen, you just don't know how long you have. Will you come to Christ today? Your life It's about serving the Lord. Christian, are you serving the Lord? How are you serving the Lord? Make decisions thinking about that right there. And then within God's will, do what you want to do. Follow him, delight in him. He will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray.